Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. On this podcast, and in general, we've talked a lot about the practicalities of working from home. How do you manage a remote team if you're a manager, and how do you look good on Zoom if you're a worker? There's lots of parts to making remote work work. One thing we've not talked about probably enough is how to deal with the stress of it. Because there is stress in going from an office with tons of people around to being alone in your home. It can be very distracting and it can also be very isolating. And it can also be difficult if you're not alone in your home, if you have kids and a family to manage and you're in an environment that was never set up for that. Ironically, though, Along with the stress of working from home, we're also dealing with the stress of going back to work because we're going back to offices and workplaces that now are potentially breeding grounds for a disease we don't know much about. And that's creating stresses as well. So lots of parts of this. I've been thinking a lot about this. You know, one of the main things I do is speak to organizations about trends and the future of work. And when I look at the post-pandemic future of it, I wonder how much mental stress is going to be part of what will need to be managed. And I think it's really time to think about that if you're a company and maybe time to put in a strategic plan in place. So my guest today to talk about all of this is Joey Yarker. She's a professor at the University of London as well a consultant, and her work is all around health and well-being. She talks to us today about the pandemic and what it's doing to those things, how we can possibly handle it all better. So it's a very timely and interesting discussion. Please stay with us. Well, we're six months into the pandemic and possibly have many more months ahead of us. And most of us are coping, although not without difficulty. Whether it's stress about being home and isolated or stress about going back to work and possibly getting sick, a lot of people are under strain and there are indications that the strain could last for years even after the pandemic is done. Is there a way to avoid that or manage that? Well, today I'm joined by Joe Yarker. She's a professor at Birkbeck University of London and as well is a director at Affinity Health at Work. That's a research-led consultancy. Her work places a focus on health, work, and well-being, and she's written about mental health issues at work for many years. She has a lot of thoughts about the current situation. She joins us now from London, England. Hi, Joe. Hi, Linda. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thanks for being here. I want to talk about all of the things I said in the introduction, but I'd like to start by asking people how they ended up in the career they're in right now and why they have the interests they have. It's always a fascinating question, isn't it, to see people's journeys. I actually um, I did, fell into a psychology degree mainly because I um, studied it at school as a result of not doing so well in my art. I wanted to be an artist and um, ended up doing psychology because I, I didn't go down that route. And the fascination around people's well-being in the workplace really grew when I had my first job. And I looked around and I thought, this is a great place to work. I was working in London Bridge and it all felt very exciting to me. And I looked around and thought, people don't really seem that excited to be here. And I wonder what happens on your work journey to... Um, to dull that excitement and it started from there really looking at how people interacted in the workplace seeing the small frustrations that people experienced 
and really wanting to understand that better, understand how we design good jobs, how we help people navigate some of the challenges that come up every day and how we help leaders manage and lead in more constructive ways. And so I went to do my master's and then from that it sparked an interest in research. So I stayed on and and did my, my PhD where I focused on the impact of long working hours on health. And then I've been really fortunate to combine a consultancy and academic career where I've looked at various aspects of health at work. So people returning following um, periods of illness, such as cancer, back pain, but also um, how do we manage everyday everyday working life in a way that is constructive and sustainable, regardless of our situation at home, regardless of our, our health. Yeah, because stress at work did not start with the pandemic, right? What were you seeing even before the pandemic? And I, I know you're in the UK, but I don't know that it's very different anywhere. Absolutely not. And I think increasingly we're recognizing that it is important that workplaces look after the mental health and, and mitigate stress within the workplace. So it's certainly been something that we've seen both in terms of prevalence, it's, it's been ri- a rising prevalence across countries, um, but also alongside that, organisations acknowledging that they need to do more to both raise awareness of the signs and symptoms and also put in place support services and um, platforms that people can go to to access the, the, the help and the support and the, develop the skills that they need to better manage their, their mental health and their well-being. And do you think there has been a change in mindset around that? Because I don't think it even matters what country, there's always been a reluctance to say that people are under stress and there's been a reluctance for companies to want to support that. Absolutely. I think one of the things that's been fascinating over the last probably five years is people want to use the term stress and mental health. Whereas before, what we were seeing is that, uh, you know, those terms were being put under the carpet. They wanted to talk about well-being um, more broadly and try and avoid these these thorny issues of, of stress and mental health. Whereas that language is it's much more commonplace in many organisations today. I do think we're at the, the tip of the iceberg. I think we've got a long way to go, but it's really great that people are starting to have this conversation. And the fact that we're having this conversation um is is testament to that. Well, yeah, this podcast is called Work and the Future. And one of the things I've noticed is that nothing that's a problem during the pandemic is going to end the day we all get vaccinated. It seems like we're going to have these overhangs for lots of different areas. Mental health seems to be one of them. Mm. Well, I think what we've seen is that the, the pandemic and the situation that we've all found ourselves in is that really what it's done is it's exacerbated so many of the existing things that were going on in the workplace. So those people who were enjoying their work had a good stable um, environment to work from from home and a good family environment, those people that had good relationships with their bosses. For the most part, what we've seen is that those have stayed stayed strong, stayed resilient. But actually where there were problems, where people were finding that they were under challenge, where they perhaps didn't have good relationships with the, within their teams, all of those things have been blown apart and, and exacerbated 
And so I think you're absolutely right. It, these things aren't going to go away. Um, and actually, there's some really great things that perhaps will stay in the future as well. Um, when we look at the explosion of remote working, you know, so many people for years have called and knocked down on their, their manager's door to see if they can maybe work one day from home a week, which would dramatically change their childcare or their elder care or simply allow them to, to exercise in a different way. And we've all been forced to work from, from home um, if you had a job that was enabled to work from home. And so it's going to be very hard not to offer that flexibility in the future as we adjust back. So I think there are some immense challenges, but also some real positives that could come out of this. Oh, I agree with you. I do think it's great that the door has been opened on remote work. At the same time, this is such a terrible experiment because this is not well thought out. It's just like, go home and figure it out. Let's mm. talk about the stresses people are under right now. So I think everyone's in a unique situation. And that's that's the real kind of crux of the problem is that there is no general experience, no one shared experience. We're all in a different um, on a different journey, managing different things at home, managing our own mental health and anxieties in different ways, and then with different pressures on us from from our our home situation, our work situation, our colleagues, our line managers, and so I think that is really the the hub of it is that we're all going through very different journeys, and it's quite hard to then put ourselves into other people's shoes because if you think about a normal situation in the workplace perhaps one of your team is not feeling very well or one of your team is going through some challenges at home whereas at the moment we're all in in a different place and it's very hard to to see the other person's perspective when we ourselves are in challenge and you mentioned childcare. People are home with their kids and they're trying to work out school while they do their jobs. That's a whole unique situation in itself. It sure is. And I've had first-hand experience of um, trying to trying to do a, a Zoom conference whilst also homeschooling a nine-year-old boy who doesn't want to engage in his English homework. Um, and it's it's tough, isn't it? And I think one of the things that we saw early on in the pandemic was as, as the outbreak and the news was was coming through, was that we saw people being very compassionate and and giving people quite a lot of bandwidth to juggle work and home, um, and that seems to have dissipated quite a lot. I think for many people, um, the compassion is starting to wear off, and the job needs to get done. And I think on the one hand, we've seen some great. Um, technical pivots you know people really using zoom in a in a, a new way people using different types of tech so slack and all sorts of things to really help them engage in that team or, or project feel but also on the other side we've got that challenge of well how do we sustain this period of uncertainty for, for the most part we only ever have to deal with uncertainty for a short amount of time whereas at the moment we still don't know whether children are going to go back to school what that means for our childcare, what that means for um wraparound care especially i think when you mentioned childcare, one of the things that um i didn't know whether really to, to laugh or cry but even though we have these conversations about work and health all the time in my house 
my husband said, well, the children are going back to school. It will be fine. And I thought, well, they're not really going back to school in the way that they were before the pandemic because there is no wraparound care. We're not quite sure what's going to happen um, in terms of us going back to work. So do we put in place the same childcare that we had before or do we look for something different? And all of these uncertainties mean that those people who have the primary care responsibility have an extra cognitive load on to- on their shoulders. So they've got so many more things to think about, but they can't tick them off their to-do list. And at the same time, um, the workplace is demanding more of them because we need to continue and, and get the job done. So it's a really difficult situation. So what is the solution, if there is one, and on the worker's end and on the company's end? So I think there are a number of things that, that we can do. And we always talk of in, in our team, we talk about developing an igloo. So identifying um, what you as an individual can do. So the eye of the igloo, what you as your group, your team or your home group can do, what your leader can do, and then what the organisation can do. So if we think about building our, our igloo, there's so many things that um, if we just take a pause and think through what would be helpful, we can start to do. So in terms of um, looking after our, ourselves, we can take some really, really basic actions that sometimes when we're stressed and our mental health is starting to spiral, we really forget to prioritise. So things like prioritising self-care, making sure that you take time to, to do your exercise and clear your head, setting clear boundaries before be, around your work and leisure time, those are such important things that we can put in place. But when the work pressure is on, when the children are knocking on the door, when um, there's a deadline, it's really difficult to keep those things firm as priorities. But actually, if we don't and we don't protect our time, um, we can find that we're then not as efficient in making our decisions. And we perhaps stumble on decisions rather than making them in a really proactive and considered way. So certainly at the individual level, there there are certain things that we can do. And from the company level, you said you're seeing less compassion than we had at the beginning. And that's something I've heard as well. What would you like to see happening? I think that there's certainly some great efforts going on by a number of organizations. But what we tend to see is this um, emphasis on supporting the individual. So what is it that you need and you can do? Um, would you like some mindfulness training? Would you like to um, think about time management? Do you need any tech solutions? When actually what we see consistently pre-pandemic and also in unique situations across a range of, of, of challenging situations is actually thinking about how we manage our the demands of work. So how we allocate projects, how we consider workload across the team how we prioritise tasks. So that aspect of work demands is really important. The aspect of control, thinking about how we give control to our team members and how they can plan and prioritise their own job and and the way that they do their work, how we support their relationships as well um, and foster an inclusive and, and communicative relationship within the team is really important. So all of those elements around good jobs are really what I see are and should be the focus of supporting employees rather than these more tertiary and reactive solutions 
that organizations are often offering. What about the problem of isolation? We've talked about being home with your kids and probably not getting enough time mm-hmm. alone, but other people feel really cut off and, and lonely. How big of an issue is that? It's, a, it's such a big issue. And I think um, one that we really can't underestimate. So we know that isolation can and prolonged isolation can lead to some really serious um, health and and well-being outcomes so we know that those people who um who suffer mental health often feel that they don't have those social connections and social connections are just just vital to getting work done in many places they're vital to um creating new work to to developing new relationships in the workplace and so if we think about how we can try and um, prevent that isolation having some very clear steps um, within the organization is really important. So leaders offering team meetings, but also informal checkups, just making sure that there's an informal conversation once a week, once a day, depending on the individual's need, um, to see how they're getting on, to see what they would find helpful. So inviting that support. And as you mentioned, we've got some people who feel that they don't have enough time on their own and some people who feel that that they really need that social contact. So we need to ensure that what we put in place is not rigid, but allows people to come together in a way that is flexible and, and meets their individual needs. So that could be, for example, having a weekly informal coffee coffee morning. It could be having a social WhatsApp group within the team. And, and within that, what we need to foster is this environment where people can say, actually, I need, I need a little bit more from you. So um, one, one person that, that we were talking to was saying, actually, I said to my team, I live on my own. I, I need you to turn up to these team meetings because otherwise I spend the whole day looking at my screen and, and it's really hard for me. And it helped her team recognize that actually it, it was an it, it it wasn't just a, a passing request. It was a really important need for them to turn up and show up and, and be there. And so I think we need to have those strategies in place, but we also need to encourage people to be a little more open in saying what they need and why they need it. Well, that's a hard thing because that's admitting that you need something. And we're not really used to that in the workplace. No, absolutely. And so one of the things that we often talk talk about with clients is being very specific around the impact on the job so I think mental health can be a really difficult thing to talk about stress can be a really difficult thing to talk about but if you put it in the context of how that can help you make your job better and how it can make your performance better then that's a really good thing and it can be very um a very easy in to that difficult conversation so for example um, rather than saying, I feel isolated, I feel um, lonely, it would be really helpful if you came on the team meetings, then thinking about how you reframe that to say, it's really helpful when we have our team meetings, we get to share ideas. I found it really helpful when you gave the tip of how you were talking to your client in a different way or how you approach this really difficult problem. So you're giving very specific examples of, of how it can benefit you coming together and so you're not lingering on the problem but really emphasizing the benefits that the solution will give 
you know, and I think I say this as an economics person, economist, that there are benefits to having a mentally healthy team. I don't think that companies are really thinking about that. I've been talking to them about planning for post-pandemic. And one of the things I would bring up is you need everyone to have a good mindset or else there's going to be productivity issues ahead. Do you think companies are ready for this? Do they have mental health plans in place or wellness or whatever we're talking, whatever we're calling it? Mm, well, I think the business benefits are, are becoming more and more um, realized. And also, I think that the moral moral obligation is is growing as well. So those two together are really important. But what we can see is that um, people are recognizing that particularly when people are working at home, there is this tendency to, to intensify work. So people are working longer, they're letting their boundaries blur because it's very hard to not answer that one email or just finish that document before you go and watch your show or go and cook dinner. Um, and so people are working longer. Some studies have suggested that that 70% of people working at home are saying that they work, they're working longer. And we know that that's, that isn't productive. That, that often work intensification actually leads to uh, deterioration of performance because we start getting tired, we start, we need to be fresh to be able to do the job well. So I think that, um, I think that there is a growing awareness that there are business implications. When we're tired, we make mistakes. When we're not mentally healthy and fit and resilient, we take information in a different way. We, we, we receive it in a different way and we perhaps act on it more emotionally rather than logically. And so increasingly, um, organisations are recognising that it's important that we have people who are mentally fit and physically fit so that they can work to the best of their ability. Yeah, it's funny that you say people are working longer because they're working at home. The reason we were never given a lot of remote work possibilities before is companies were afraid. If you're at home, you're going to be watching television. Mm. <laughs> Apparently that's not the case. Exactly. I think the idea of watching television seems like a dream to me sometimes. <laughs> There's never a chance. But um, absolutely. I think one of the, the really great things, if there is a great thing that can come out of anything so awful, is that there is consistent demonstration that working from home is is working for many many people and where it's where it's difficult they're still managing to make it work and still delivering on many things so in terms of productivity what we've seen is that there there hasn't actually been a, a drop for many organizations and so it really does fly in, fly in the face of that argument that people who want to work from home will watch tv actually what they might do is they might watch something over their lunch break, but then they'll go back and they'll make up those those hours later. So allowing people to to be outcome orientated, so task focused rather than just present, really does make a difference and allows people to just work in a different way. If they if you show them trust and you show that they're trusted and and you you give them that capacity, often they will deliver and. Unfortunately, we need to then manage how we stop them over delivering um, so that they can protect their, their mental health. I want to switch gears a little bit. We've been talking about remote work, but actually people are going back to work. We're trying this out. Some offices will be opening up over the next several months, maybe over the next year. 
what's that going to mean? I mean, it's stressful to think that this pandemic isn't over and yet some of us are being asked to go back to work or some people were never allowed to be home in in the first place. Mm. What are the things you're concerned about there? So I think there are two things. One is the return to work place um, process and how people feel about that and how we can make that as comfortable and productive as as we can. And then the second is when we do have some people back and some people working from home, how do we optimize a split team environment? And so if we think about the return process, um, anything that you do either for the first time or when you haven't done it for a while, it's daunting. It's, it's, it's always going to be quite scary. And particularly if you are somebody who is concerned about um, the possibility of, of catching the virus and um, what that might mean for you and your family, then understandably, it's going to be very difficult. So one of the things that we, we suggest, and we can learn a lot from how people get back to work following maternity leave, following um, a period of illness. And one of the main things is keeping connected while you're out of the workplace. So talk with your manager, with your teams about how you're feeling and what your concerns might be. And that allows everyone to be a little bit aware of what's going on for you so that they can then um, help help you manage that if it is a concern. And then the next thing is thinking about how you plan and prepare for those first days and weeks. So um, even that, those little things that we sometimes just take for granted, how do we get to work? If you're concerned about getting on public transport, what will that mean for you? Could you go in earlier? Could you go in later? Um, could you perhaps work half the day from home and then go in at lunchtime so that you're not going in, in a busy time? What will happen when you get in the building? Have you seen what the building looks like now? Are there different ways of navigating your your journey to your desk and what facilities are open? For many people, it's, it's remarkably different, isn't it, in terms of what's actually available there? And one of the things that we often find with people who return from sick leave is that they say that the experience is made so much harder because nobody greets them on the first day. And I think in this situation, it's really important that people who are coming back into the workplace have somebody who acknowledges their presence and greets them, welcomes them back in, um, whether that's a line manager or a colleague who's already been in the office, just to help smooth that initial journey back to the desk or back to the workplace and then once you're there I think it's really important to keep monitoring and reviewing so as you said everything changes so quickly at the moment that we have to be braced for being told to go back home or um, change the way that we're doing things and thinking about how do we how do we do that is going to be difficult for sure. I mean, I've gone back to work after maternity leave and for sure there's things, you know, you have to get used to again, but you don't have to worry about getting sick at work and possibly getting a really terrible disease that would put you in hospital or kill you. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much that's weighing on people's minds. Is there real worry about this or are people just sort of uh, putting it at the back of their minds and trying to get on with it? I think there's significant worry about that. And certainly in the UK, we can see that the unions are taking a very strong stance to protect their their members. Um, and, and it is a real, you know, when we look at risk, it's not just the, the physical risk, it's the, the psychological risk. It's, if, you're, if you're worried about it, that is a real and, and 
and present danger that we need to think about. But for many organisations, what we've seen um, here, and I've heard heard from many places um, across the globe, is that organisations have really taken many, many steps to, if they are opening, that they have very clear safety protocols in place. So, for example, having hand sanitizer before you enter the building, um, making sure that desk spaces are are spread out, making sure that walking routes are are very clear, installing better ventilation and so on. So I think that there's a lot that organisations can do to help people manage that concern. So if you are walking into and going back to work into an environment, absolutely you want to make sure that it is safe and it is meeting all of the the respective government's protocols on being a safe environment. And then beyond that, it's exploring, well, what what is it that they have done and and what are the potential risks so that you can recognise then whether that is a a real risk and, and how you then move through it. Joe, final question. Are you particularly concerned about any one thing or are you relatively optimistic that people will come through this and be mentally sound? I think I'm, I am relatively optimistic in that evidence from, from past disasters show that, that the majority of people do have that bounce back. It's going to be hard, but there are some people that through this have, have found different aspects of their work and their life that that perhaps they're going to do things very differently and and will thrive from it but I think one of the main concerns that that I have is um twofold really I think that population that are incredibly worried about the risk of of the virus and and what that means for them their health is how do we protect them and ensure that their jobs are safe but also that that they are um they're treated in a considerate way and then the second is what do we do to really support our younger workers because going through university going through into your first job is hard enough at the best of times and we know that particularly for for the younger population the spike in anxiety is is very high and so I think we really need to prioritize how do we how do we encourage that group to do the things that will help them look after themselves, but also how do we encourage organisations to put in place um, really effective ways of, of looking after them and keeping their jobs, protecting their jobs, and and then finding new roles for them so they're not disadvantaged in the long term. Joe, thanks so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Joe Yarker is a professor at Birkbeck University of London, and she's also a director at Affinity Health at Work. Well, that's it for today. If you do want to know more about Joe and about this subject, please take a look at our show notes and you'll find some links there to her work. If you would like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at, at @relentlesseco. Now, if you are interested and invested in the future of work, please subscribe to this podcast and as well, leave a rating or review on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. It will really help people find us and bring more people into the discussion. And thanks so much for being with us today. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. 
You can also contact us at comments at theworkinthefuturepodcast.com. The Work in the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.